Hey, again. Hey, what's up, Justin? Oh, what you doing, buddy? Are you up to anything interesting? I'm sitting down. Oh, okay. I'm getting uh, <laughs> I'm getting my new, new daily IV injection of Lysol because uh, Donald Trump ordered me to do that to clear out my lungs. Oh, yeah. I heard he was saying that. You got to get rid of the COVID. You got to, like, you know. Yeah, disinfect, you know, disinfect. Lysol brand disinfect wipes look really, really good for, uh, you know, disinfecting services and killing viruses. So Why can't it be used inside of you, too? Yeah. Not just the outside. So I'm getting it via IV in me right now, and we'll see if I make it to the end of the episode. Now, I'm not telling you that that's a bad plan. Okay. But <laughs> you may die. Should I have burned it and inhaled it instead? Yes, you should buy some of those uh, Marlboro Whites. Those, those, uh, like you know, the bleach infused cigarettes. Oh. So, so you you still get cancer, but it, your lungs are clean. Oh. Okay. So they're incredibly unuseful. So I made a fucking mistake. Well, I had a good life. At least, you know, you died before we had to watch uh, Resident Evil or Scorpion King or Air Bud or whatever other memes we have. Free Willy. Can Free Willy be a meme, too? Yeah, sure. Let's watch the Free Willy films. Let's watch The Land Before Time. Let's watch my eyes roll into the back of my head. You know, let's watch our planet burn. Hell yeah. Whatever you want to do, man. Whatever fun time you want to have on the Get and Jub show. <laughs> I'm up for it. I'm just going to die. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gen and Job Show. That's Gen. Hello, it me. I'm Job. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to talk about big super depresso movie Joker starring Walk Fiend. <laughs> Jayoquin Phoenix. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, I, I I had to write down his name a couple times bef- before. Uh, recording this and man i can't spell <laughs> i mean it's understandable every time i write phoenix i want to put like the e before the o oh because it sounds like fee mix but so i my brain auto completes it and does phe it, it, it's phoenix it's phoenix which is which is um i hate it but whatever. <laughs> I should know by now. I'm a big Phoenix Wright fan. And, like, I probably misspell it all the time without even knowing. Yeah. But, oh, well. Oh, well, it happens. All right. So, since this is the final film in our big-ass Batman blowout set that we did. Uh, Batman Bukaki. Yeah, that one. The Batman, <laughs> Batman Bukaki. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Don't. I regret calling it that, but whatever. 
I'm going to title the episode Batman Bukaki now. Good job, Get Hurt. Uh, can you get away with that? Yep. Can you title it that? Yep. Um. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you want to. <laughs> I don't I don't know. That sounds like you can't title it that. I'm not sure. I, I think I can get away with it. If not, I'll snape it to something else. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. I so. was censored by the left. Grr. This is a Todd Phillips joke. We'll get into that a bit. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of that, yeah, because of all this, we're going to jump straight into the movie. And it's the Joker, baby. Yeah, and follow it up with our, our big old like post franchise discussion, and then spin the wheel for our next one. And don't rattle me bones. Yep. So, so uh, again, yeah, hit me with it. Give me some factoids. There isn't a whole lot because unlike uh, normally, this is a very modern movie. This came out last fucking November or October. Um, no, it was October. And, uh, you know, we talked about it then. Uh, I don't even remember what series we were on, probably like Terminator or some shit, and we were depressed, and I think Joker was a good uh, breaking up <laughs> of that. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't discuss it in as much detail as we do our main, like, series retrospective look-back things. We just, you know, it came out and we saw it like everybody else, so we talked about it. Right. But, uh, you know, you probably know everything about Joker already, but... uh. I'll try and bring some new shit to the table or at least familiarize everyone and ourselves with uh, the basic facts. So you got your boy Joaquin Phoenix, great actor, but um, professional weird man. So (laughs) if you remember, uh, do you remember, I believe it was the film called, uh, uh, damn, I forget the name of the movie whatever who cares so so he like got into character real hard and went on like letterman was like a fucking psycho yeah and everybody was like what the hell's wrong with joaquin phoenix and he he seems to go like super method uh but not necessarily like i'm still gonna say it's better than what leto does because all the reports about what jared leto did in his lead up to playing the joker were alarming uh, the things I read about Joaquin Phoenix playing the Joker and how are, are kind of like, you know, whatever in comparison, like he would leave set and, and just be like, you know, moody because he's in character and, you know, maybe he would be a little immature towards some people, but he didn't do anything like fucked up necessarily that I can see. Yeah. But he is a weird guy, and he goes super method. And even when he's not going super method, like I mean, I mean we saw his Oscar speech. Right, he's uh, <laughs> he's, he's, but anyway, even way back in 2014, uh, he was interested in playing a comic book character, but he didn't want to go about it like everybody else. He said he wanted to do a standalone character study, different from the interconnected comic book universes. He initially didn't want to portray the Joker in a film like this since he felt the character had been betrayed in similar ways before. I assume he's referring to something like Batman 89 because that's basically a Joker origin movie. That's basically a Joker movie before this one. 
Like Batman's in it, but <laughs> he's like barely in it in his own movie. That's definitely a Joker. Like he's the main character, honestly. But anyway, so you got Joaquin wanting to be in a superhero film, and then you got Todd Phillips, mostly known for his, at least before this, comedy films. Like, you know, Road Trip and Old School and The Hangover and The Hangover 2 and The Hangover 3. They made three Hangover movies. Why did they do that? Can you answer me why? Nope, I can't. I, that's... <laughs> I didn't even see the third one. I didn't bother. Um, I, I guess it's like any other comedy that gets a sequel. It's just kind of like the question is why. Right, because usually it's just, you just – what more can you do than rehash the same thing? You, just, you That's literally what 2 was. It was the same exact fucking movie. Right. So it sucked. Um, so he sought to branch out with a, a darker film, and he did a film called War Dogs, and then – off of that he wanted to go even like more mature less of a comedy i guess so he pitches this dark lower budget unconnected joker solo film to warner brothers and that intrigues the company because at the time they want to differentiate themselves from marvel and also i kind of think they want to differentiate themselves from themselves because they had just put out you know Batman v Superman Justice League and Suicide Squad. So like with all these hits on their hands, uh, you know, they, uh, they wanted to take a left turn and uh, do something different that would stand out and not, you know, blend into the background of all the other superhero movies. So Phillips teams up with fellow writer Scott Silver, who wrote Eight Mile and The Fighter. Uh, to pen the script for Joker, and the film was set to be produced by Phillips and Martin Scorsese, who uh, is a man who we know is no fan of comic book film. <laughs> but uh, his name being attached to this does make a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. Because it wears Scorsese influence on its sleeve, um, particularly the film's uh, Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. It's like incredibly obvious. Um, it's it's basically just the plot is a mishmash of those two movies in the one film. And and then it's Joker instead of Travis Bickle, I guess. Like, <laughs> it's really similar. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I've seen some people dunk on it and say, like, this is like baby's first Scorsese movie <laughs> or something like that. I kind of like it. Like, you know, you could pick way worse things to emulate. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, sure. I like the aesthetic. Those are definitely better movies than this, but this is still pretty cool, I think. Um, uh, besides that, Todd Phillips did said they didn't really look to any specific other things for inspiration besides the killing joke, which is always the thing that gets the inspiration sure, sure they for Joker things. Depositing to look at Taxi Driver? Besides Taxi Driver, <laughs> I meant like in, in terms of comics, they oh, didn't okay. look at anything. Uh, the only things they really took from Killing Joke were the character is a failed stand-up comedian. Yeah. And the character is an unreliable narrator 
Uh, those are both things they took from Killing Joke, um, which have kind of just become standard Joker things anyway. Right. Uh, so they could have just as easily took the unreliable narrator stuff from The Dark Knight. So um, anyway, Joaquin Phoenix is set to be the star by Phillips early on, who said he wrote the script for the actor specifically, saying, quote, the goal was never to introduce Joaquin Phoenix into the comic book movie universe. The goal was to introduce comic book movies into the Joaquin Phoenix universe, <laughs> which, yeah, that makes sense, given the movie we have on our hands. Um, now, despite this, Warner Brothers wanted not Joaquin Phoenix, but Leonardo DiCaprio, which wouldn't have made any sense at all, in my opinion. But... um they they were hoping that producer Martin Scorsese would be able to help convince him, considering they've worked together several times. Um, that did not happen, and I'm glad it didn't happen because I can't see it in my head. I really can't. Joaquin's already like unhinged and weird. Like that made sense immediately to me when I heard that he was cast. I was like, oh, he'll actually probably be good. <laughs> like, um, <sighs> Leo can definitely play like fucked up weird characters, but I don't think to that degree. I don't think so. No, no, definitely not. Hmm. So Joaquin goes all in. He loses 52 pounds yeah, for the role. He's fucking yeah. almost anorexic looking in this fucking movie, dude. He's really freakish looking. It reminds me of um like Christian Bale when he yeah. did uh the was it the machinist? Yeah. Where he's like really fucking skinny, like yep. scary skinny. Yep, same thing. So, um, Joaquin, uh, much like Heath Ledger, uh, does not really look at Joker comic books for any inspiration. Um, he kind of so Joaquin studies videos of people suffering from pathological laughter, and he studies books about political assassinations, trying to get into the head of, you know, the perpetrators of those things, people that you know, like. Your guys that, you know, your Lee Harvey Oswalds and whatnot. Right. So I guess that makes sense, too, <laughs> given what this movie ends up being at the end. Um, so now Martin Scorsese leaves as producer. He does not produce this movie. Uh, he leaves to focus on The Irishman, which uh, also stars Robert De Niro. But um, so I'm sure there was some weird scheduling stuff with that. But. He leaves his collaborator, his uh, collaborator Emma Tillinger Koskov, to produce in his stead, and uh, Todd Phillips gets Bradley Cooper, his friend from the Hangover movies, to also join on as a producer. Um, and I think the reason like a producer is important here is because Warner Brothers is like kind of iffy on making this at all. Um, at a certain point, they get really nervous because. When they see the script, <laughs> they realize this movie is going to be hard R. It's going to be super fucked up. It's going to be super violent and upsetting. And I'm sure there's certain studio execs who are like, dude, we sell Joker fruit snacks <laughs> at fucking Walmart. <laughs> like, <laughs> we can't have this shit. <laughs> people are going to lose their minds. But um, eventually they greenlit it and decided to take a chance on it. And I'm glad they did because say what you will about the movie, even if you'd liked it or disliked it, I think it's important for 
comic book movies because yeah. we're going to get a billion of them. We're going to continue to get a billion of them. Um, I want them to be diverse. Yep. I don't want them to all be like the MCU. No, especially since, like, I don't know I, how you feel about it. But at this point, I'm getting kind of tired of the format. A little bit? I mean, that's only natural, even though I still think they're good. Yeah. I think that's only natural 20 movies into a franchise, you know? That you get, like, th- three times a year now, too. So, like, yeah. I, I want some variety, like, I'll still watch MCU, but when that's the only thing available, it'll get really tiresome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the the film was shot in New York City and New Jersey, uh, dressed up to look like the late 70s to early 80s. I love the look of this movie. It looks really classic. They did a great job making the world look lived in, even though most of the locations are made up to be fake locations yeah it looks like all right so it, it looks like what i would imagine gotham city to actually look like in if it was a real place yeah yeah i think it does an even better job of that than the nolan movies in some respects oh, because I, I definitely think so because the nolan movies still retain <laughs> that like that very comic booky style gotham in a lot of ways um where I don't know. This is like raw compared to that. This feels like it's actually in New York City. It's Gotham, but it looks like New York City 100%. And I kind of liked that about it. It made it feel more real. Mm -hmm. Even though there there are some problems in it that are unrealistic, weird things that we'll get to when we talk about the plot in a minute here. Um, the last couple things I want to mention before we just talk about the movie, I guess, would be the music. And uh, I don't know how to say this person's name, but I will try. Give the best shot. <laughs> Hildur Gudnadotir. Okay. It's an Icelandic name. I don't know how to pronounce it. It, it. it. I don't even know if it's Gud because, like, the D on Google is a weird character that isn't quite a D uh, when I looked at it. But anyway... She is a cellist. Uh, she's toured with Animal Collective and the band uh, Sun. And okay. she has scored the movies Sicario 2 and the television show Chernobyl. And she did the score for Joker. And um, I love the score for this movie. It's and great. I love the other music they chose to parse through it. Um, like... Uh, we got um, That's Life by Frank Sinatra. We got White Room by Cream. And I think most famously, <laughs> we have Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter, which is used for the stairs scene. Um, now, this generated a little bit of controversy when it was first reported that this film would be in the movie because it was reported by the media that uh, Gary Glitter would receive royalties for its use, even though Gary Glitter is a convicted sex offender currently serving out, I think, like a 20-year jail sentence. Yep. Um, now, however, this turns out to not be the case. Gary Glitter uh, sold away the rights to a lot of his songs uh, many, many years ago. Um 
I was reading an article about it and the company was basically like, yeah, we own this stuff, but we don't really like advertise it. We don't like people come to us to use this song sometimes because it's iconic, but we don't really like, you know, try to market it and put it out there. We're just like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> it, oh, well, <laughs> like, there's I like the song a lot. It's catchy. It fits that scene well. It is kind of weird that they chose to use it, though. Given everything that happened. Yeah. But. At least he doesn't get money from it. That's like pretty key to me. That would be the, the tipping point for me, like it, for me and being uncomfortable with that whole thing. I can I can live with it as is. But anyway, speaking of uncomfortable, you hit me with the Joker movie. What happened in the Haha ha Man? Well, the film. Well, we get a we get we get just a little bit of a cold open, where we got we got Walkman, now Arthur. Uh. Arthur Fleck is the Joker's name in this movie, which has yeah. not been his name ever until right. now. Yep. Different unique new geeky name. He's putting on he's putting on the clown makeup. Uh oh, clown man. And then he And he does that weird ass thing you see in all the trailers where he uses his fingers and pulls his mouth into a smile and then releases it like you're stretching a rubber band. Yes. So I'm not I don't have proof of who wrote this first, but there is a Tom King Batman comic where the Joker stops finding anything funny and he can't laugh and he tries to like do all kinds of fucked up things to make him laugh and it doesn't work. And there's a similar scene where he's staring in the mirror and trying to force himself to smile and he can't. And that came out before this. That's probably where they got it. But this could have been in development before that. I don't know. It's, it's strange to me. Who came up with this idea first? Yeah. But anyway. So then we get in uh in good old fancy only looking text. You get you get kind of like your, your the start of your title card. You get Warner Brothers Pictures presents, and then you got you got Arthur in the street dancing. Flicking around and everything must go sign. He's a sign boy. That's right. That's what he's doing with his life. He ain't going around killing people yet. He the first of time. many dancing scenes in this movie. He loves to dance. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, he does. Yellow signs says everything must go. And a bunch of shitty rascal kids come up and take a sign. And he chases What a them. bunch of fuckers. And then they hit him with the sign and beat the shit out of him. And then you get... Boom, him. Joker. Yep title card. I like that it takes up the whole screen. Yeah, it's really good. And then you get him writhing around the ground and he starts laughing. Right. Then you get a, a cut laughing in his therapist's office. And this is where you I like that it takes them a minute to reveal why he laughs all the time. Yeah. It's it's not right it's not right in this therapist room scene. Because it, it gives this scene a weird quality. It does. So, yeah, he, uh, 
we learn that he is a man who is suffering from some kind of mental problems. Maybe several. Yeah, I'm and he's on <laughs> several medications yep. and they don't specify any of it beyond he has this laughing condition. Yeah, but they don't really need to. <laughs> no, they don't necessarily. I've seen some people say that this movie is a bad look for like like it it represents the mentally ill poorly. And I don't know if that's really necessarily something I'd agree with. I don't all right. They don't, they don't specify anything that's wrong with him, but I think it does make a lot of sense what they say about how society that's the first time we're going to say society for the society counter uh, treats these people that are on the fringes of society uh, medically, especially in America. Um, And and I don't think this movie necessarily takes a very sympathetic look at Arthur actually either. Um, It's, it's not like, I don't know. I think it does at first. Yeah. Like as soon as he commits his first murder, it's kind of like it definitely. The movie like, changes. Yeah. But I like that because more so than any other story about the characters so far that I've ever seen, uh, you do get a sense that he is more of a normal person at first, mm-hmm. and then just everything goes to shit, and. Uh, some of it's his fault, but not all of it. And it just kind of stacks on top of each other as the movie continuously escalates. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of a fascinating way to look about it. I really dig this movie and the way that it shows the stages of him going into the Joker. It's not it's not a he's the Joker kind of thing. Like uh, It's very gradual. You know, it's not like the Jack Nicholson Joker. All it takes like he's already a shithead. And then he falls into Vata chemicals, and then all of a sudden he is the full-fledged Joker character. Like, there's no progression there <laughs> at all. It's just boom, snap, he's Joker. And then the Heath Ledger Joker is consistent throughout the whole movie. This one, this is like three or four different versions of this character as we go through this movie. Mm-hmm. Which I think is pretty fascinating to watch, if uncomfortable. But that's It is the definitely point. uncomfortable. <laughs> A lot of this movie is very uncomfortable. Um, Beatrice talks to his therapist. They you kind of get like a little bit of a little bit of exposition about like kind of who he is. Um, she flips through his journal. There's a, there's a very bold line in it that says, "I hope my death makes more sense than my life," but sense is spelled wrong. Goofy. Yeah, as in money. Yeah. Um, and then she talks about how he was previously locked up in in, in a mental hospital. And you get like a really quick scene where he's bashing his head against the glass. I love how quick it is. Yeah, it's very quick. It's like three seconds, and it cuts right back. And then, and then after, then you get a. Uh, and now we got him in the bus. This is a little quick scene. This is where we get introduced to his condition. Like it actually explains yeah. it. Uh, he, he does these jokes. With, uh, there's this little kid, and he's like just trying to like you know make the kid laugh. He's just making funny faces and shit. And then his right. mom is a bitch, and it's like just leave my kid alone. He starts laughing, and she's like, "What the fuck's yeah. wrong with you?" And he hands her a card, 
And here, I'll, I'll read you exactly what the card says here in a second. Oh, yeah, you got the movie pulled up. Yep, cool, said, cool. Yep. At the front side, says, forgive my laughter, I have a condition. And on the back says, it's a medical condition causing <laughs> sudden, frequent, and uncontrollable laughter that doesn't match how you feel. It can happen to people with a brain injury or certain ne- neurological conditions. Thank you. Kindly return this card. I don't know if she does. I don't remember if she does or not. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I assume he has more than one, but because uh, there is a point in the movie where I think he's trying to get the card out and explain it, but he doesn't get a chance to. Um, so, yeah, he he has this fucked up thing and he has a shit job that he gets the shit beat out of him during and everybody there sucks and people mistreat him and make fun of him Um his mom is stuck at home. Yep. Yeah. Right after uh, this is where he first comes home and you get introduced to her. Yeah. This is uh Penny Fleck. Yep. Played by Francis Conroy, who you might recognize from a uh, six feet under an American horror story. Um, so yeah, he kind of like takes care of his mom and that's the main reason he's, you know, out getting, trying to make a living and, make ends meet and uh i guess we should probably mention how like the state the city's in right now because yeah, so literally the there is garbage everywhere yeah at the very beginning they talk about how like the the garbage situation in gotham city is kind of like an epidemic and like it's causing people to get sick and it's causing business to like go down it's to the point where like they literally like it's real quick and it kind of stands out because it's a really weird thing that never has a payoff but there's a news report where they're like, well, just when you thought things couldn't get any worse, now Gotham has rats, and they're big and hard to kill. They're weird. They're super rats. And we don't see, a like, a single rat in this whole movie. Nope. <laughs> I, so, like, when they said that, I thought there was going to be some kind of, like, rat scene later that was going to be fucking grody and creep me out real hard. Uh, don't we get plenty of those just, like, on your other ways? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't know why it was necessary for them to have to like go the extra mile and be like, yeah, it's full of trash. There's rats. Uh everybody's on edge. <laughs> like it's just you don't need the rat part. <laughs> no. Like, man, uh, and and now all the and now our toilet system isn't working too. And there's just shit littering the streets. There's this shit and trash and rats all over Gotham. Oh my god! Yeah, so he gets uh, so he gets back to his to his home. He's got all his meds. He get meet get to meet his mom, and she immediately uh, starts talking about Thomas Wayne. She is obsessed with the man. Yeah. Apparently, she's been writing to him, and she's waiting for him to write back. Mm-hmm. She used to work as his secretary, she says. And, uh, you know, in their current time of need, she's wanting, you know, financial assistance from Thomas Wayne. Uh, she believes in him. He's running for mayor, by the way. Um, he ne- never gets to be mayor. But uh, he, uh, so so this is interesting. Um, 
Thomas Wayne isn't necessarily portrayed as a nice guy in this movie, which is atypical from what we're used to. Right. Because usually he's like deified because, you know, Bruce Wayne loved his parents and they were stolen from him when he was like seven. So obviously his parents are usually portrayed as the nicest individuals possible to make that tragedy all the more uh, stabbing, I suppose. But this presents the unique um, outlook that maybe his parents were shit. And I kind of dig that because... Yeah, because they're rich people. Of course they're shit. If you want a story that goes into the Waynes being shit, that is actually a Batman story, uh, play the, the Telltale Batman game. It's pretty fucking great. And it delves into the answer of what would Batman do if he found out his parents were actually terrible people. And the answer is still be Batman. <laughs> so, like, well, yeah. it doesn't really change anything. It just makes it a more layered, interesting approach that, like, maybe your parents weren't really who you thought they were. You know, they, they were they were taken from you when you were seven. So. Right. Did you ever really know them? Um, it's It's an interesting take on it. And uh, he's played by Brett Collin, uh, but originally they wanted Alec Baldwin in the role, and he dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. I wish he was still in the movie, because I feel like he could play a very convincible asshole. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, like, that scene with him in the bathroom later would have been, like, way better, I think. Um, But anywho... Uh, I think we get to they watch the Murray Franklin show so this is Robert De Niro himself as Murray Franklin which is a sort of role reversal uh, and reference to his character in uh, the King of Comedy uh, where he was you know trying to get on a talk show desperately uh, hosted by Jerry Lewis in that movie Um here he is the talk show guy and the uh, the you know arthur wants to be on that show so bad yeah he has like a, a bit of a dream sequence or, or daydream fantasy where he's in the audience on the show and murray singles him out and, and invites him on stage and says oh man i wish i had a kid like you and all this obviously fake shit <laughs> that's just going through arthur's deluded mind he just wants to be accepted. He feels like he never had a dad, you know, all these kind of things. Yeah. So after that, Arthur back to work. And yeah. Here he's given a gun. Right, his buddy at work, um, who heard about the uh, incident where he was beat up. He's like, "Hey, you need a gun to protect yourself out there." And Arthur's like, you know, I'm I'm not supposed to have a gun, which if he just came out of a mental institution, yes. Uh, <laughs> but um, he gives it to him anyway. And I think we meet his boss real quick and he's like, you know. His boss is shithead to him. Yeah. You get the sense that, like, I think it's really subtle and I like how they do it, but, like, you can hear... Like he's staring at him and just smiling. Yeah. But he, like, as the like, music kind of just drowns out. And like you can kind of hear him like 
fantasizing about beating his ass. Like they play like some struggling sounds a little bit and super subtle. And I didn't even notice the first time I watched the movie. Yeah. And then you get a scene. Like he's fantasizing about killing his pop. Yep. And he goes outside and beats up garbage. Yes. Yep. So he just kind of accentuates like how, you know, how shitty his work life is. And also now he has gun. Then we get an introduction to, uh, he goes back to this part. We get an introduction to Sophie. I think her name is. Yeah. Her name is Sophie. Uh, Drummond. This is played by Zazie Beats, who uh, you can see in Atlanta and Deadpool 2. I liked her a lot in Deadpool 2 yeah. as Domino. Um, she's great. And she's good in this, even though her role is rather strange in the context of the movie. Uh, so she's just like his neighbor that um, has a little daughter and, you know, she kind of like is obviously like everyone else in Gotham affected by all the crap that's happening too. And kind of just like makes a joke where she's like, Oh man, does like the finger to her head kind of thing, which he also does. And she kind of like is, is weirded out by it, but he interprets it. Like she thought he was funny. Right. Um, (laughs) but in reality, I think she was weirded out by it. So, I'm trying to think of what... After this, he uh, his gun. Right, he's at home, and he just accidentally shoots a hole in the fucking wall. <laughs> um, little dancey dance with his gun, and he clearly shouldn't have it. Yeah, and then he just, like, shoots the wall, like an idiot. Yeah. Mom, don't worry, I'm watching a war movie. I'm watching a war movie over here. He's literally dancing with the gun. It's like fucking weird. I hate it. <laughs> he just gets lost in himself, you know? Yep. So then we get Arthur at a comedy club. Yes. He's writing down jokes, trying to emulate the comedian who is on stage. Like he's like, say, say sexual joke. They like that. He's just taking notes and he laughs at all the inopportune times because of his disorder. Like he's not laughing at the actual jokes. He laughs at inopportune times (laughs) and it stands out and it's really awkward. (laughs) Um, They did his laugh so good in this movie. Oh yeah. It's, It's great. It's a perfect explanation for the Joker's laugh. It's kind of genius. I've never like I don't know how anyone's never thought about this before. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really good though. Like I, I it very surprised me. Yeah, and then you get him back in his outfit, still writing jokes, and then um, he's just, like you see him right around there. He's, he starts writing a joke about mental illness. And he starts laughing. And it says, uh, the worst part about ha- having a mental illness is people expect you to behave like you don't. Yeah. It's like true. So I think, um, also. we eventually get to him, uh, at a hospital for children, right, right? Yep. So, um, he's, you know, dancing and trying to cheer up the fucking sick kids. Or, you know, terminally ill kids. 
And, uh, oops, the gun falls out of his pants and lands on the ground in front of a bunch of kids. And he freaks out and he picks it up and hides it. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, talks to his boss and he gets fired on the phone because, uh, that's a no go, but he tries to explain it away and he's like, it's a prop gun. And they're like, you know, that's not what your friend over here said, uh, whatever, whatever his friend's name is. I forget. Yeah. So he's super depressed. He now has no job and he gets on the subway still in clown makeup from the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's some wall street, like fucking assholes. Making fun of a girl. And, you know, he starts laughing because of his condition. And they change their bullying target and start fucking with Arthur, singing, like, you know, sending the clowns. And, you know, eventually they just start beating him up and shit. Yep. And then he just loses it. Arthur loses it. This is the turning point of the entire movie. Yep. It's it's a. Instantly a quarter of the, the, about a third of the way through. (laughs) Yeah, I like how it's just constant escalation. Um, He shoots and kills all of them. Yep. Uh, The one gets away, but then he runs after him and shoots him on the stairs leading up from the subway. No cops around to witness this at all. (laughs) It's, It's pretty brutal. The violence in this movie isn't, like, necessarily... I think what, super gory, but it's what, what gives it its big impact is like how separated it's the violence out. is. Yeah. Yeah. And like how like quick it is too. A lot well, of it's the, well paced. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's presented like in a realistic manner. Um, like certainly I don't feel like this Joker killed as many people as like the Heath Ledger or Jack Nicholson ones, I'm but close. this movie feels more impactful and violent than those. Mm-hmm. It has a different tone to its violence. Absolutely. And it's really like eye opening when it happens and like arresting. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, he killed these guys and he gets away with murder and like goes and hides in a bathroom and then does a little dance. Uh, Kind of like he's doing like forms and karate. <laughs> like, like he's just like, you know trying to bend air like an avatar. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, this signifies that he is, like, he only seems to dance when he's like super happy and at peace with himself. And he just killed three dudes and he does this dance. And that tells you all you need to know. So like, he just got away with murder and he feels good about it. So now these murders start getting reported on the news. Yep. Well, you get a little and, scene. Uh, right before that, you get a little scene where. Uh, oh, he goes home and uh, kisses Sophie or whatever. Yeah, he like imagines that he does it, and then he goes back to work to get his things. Yes. And uh, and and then he uh, it's a dickhead to them. It's payback. Starts getting more confident after you know after these murders and. Uh, he uh, 
he tells everybody that 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 one dude sold him the gun and tells him he's fucking crazy. And then he like honks a horn and throws it behind him as he's leaving, and it's really funny. He punches the punch out clock. Yeah, he 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 comes back and he's like, "Oops, forgot to punch out," and then he just like repeatedly punches the punch clock until it falls off the wall. And as he's walking down, there's a sign that says, "Don't forget to smile." And then he he takes a marker and crosses out "forget to," and it just says, "Don't smile." <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and then and then we get yeah, then we get the news of the triple murder on the subway. Yes. So. The, so they they give these murders the kind of same quality. And the same kind of like public outcry and coverage is like the Bernie gets murders yeah. in real life where, you know, he killed people, but then like he kind of got away with it because people were so fucking pissed at the amount of crime that was happening that they kind of just like thought it was okay that he killed these people who were fucking with him or whatever. And this movie kind of approaches that the same way, but like with a comic book twist because, Oh, well a clown did it. So now people are, you know, and then Thomas Wayne calls them clowns and <laughs> like all these people start using clowns as like a symbol for like the oppressed people or whatever. Yeah. Um, which like kind of like is weird and kind of just happens. I, I guess it's not too unrealistic, but it is weird that they latch on to the clown thing so hard. Yeah. Because it, 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 they have to, because it's a comic book movie and it's the Joker movie. Jokey, so, like, of course, of course, they latch on to the clown thing. But, yeah, like, you know, even like during like, a you know, Arthur goes out on a date with Sophie and like seized like this is later in the movie, but I'll just say it now. Like uh, the news about the subway killings. And she's like, I think the guy who killed him was a hero. You know, he. Uh, about time somebody. Took out some Wall Street dickheads or whatever she says. Yeah. Now, obviously, he's imagining that scene. Oops, spoiler. But, uh, you know, the the. The public perception of this violent act is split because the people of Gotham are so fed up, at least like the poor downtrodden half mm -hmm. are so fed up with the rich people that uh, they are kind of OK with that violence that happened. They're kind of just like, fuck it, you know, eat the rich, screw them. Right. Um, which like same, but it's still murder, though. <laughs> uh yeah, and then Thomas Wayne, even though he's trying to run for mayor, does the bad political move of uh, attacking the poor people and attacking their character, I should say. And, um, you know, goes on TV and wags his finger, calls them clowns and says that he when he's mayor, he'll make it that everything's better, blah, blah, blah. You know, your typical politician shit. Mm -hmm. Um. So then after this, we get uh, Arthur doing a bit at the comedy club. Yeah, he's super awkward. He laughs a lot before he even says anything. He laughs at his own jokes because of his condition. 
And uh, he kind of imagines that everybody laughs at his joke. And he kind of imagines that, uh, you know, his, his, his girlfriend is there, Sophie. He imagines all of this, but it's not, it's not necessarily clear to us. Um, the first time I saw this movie, the whole Sophie subplot, I didn't necessarily like. But I think on a repeat viewing, I kind of like it because the answers are spelled out to you very early on. Yeah. And constantly. But the actual like, oh, he's just imagining that he's dating her part doesn't hit until pretty late into the movie. But like watching it a second time, it's pretty obvious. And I kind of like how they did it. The only part I don't like about it, we'll get to later. But um, so after the comedy club, I think he. uh, He. Does does his mom uh does he find that letter his mom wrote? Yeah, that's what it is now. Yeah, he finds the letter his mom wrote to Thomas Wayne, and he looks at it without her. Like she just says to send it in the mail, but he looks at it before he does, and it says Arthur is your son, Thomas, and you need to help us. And boom, I think we just cut to like he's uh. She's like telling him, stop yelling. I'm not going to talk to you if you're angry. And he's like, okay, mom, I'm calm. Is this true? And I think he instantly like just goes to Thomas Wayne's mansion. Yeah, she goes right up front to the mansion. Then you get little Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And he tries to talk to him. Alfred, uh, Alfred comes up. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> Tells him to yeah. Off. So he like is, you know, this is like this moment really works. If this Joker becomes the comic book Joker, because like they met way early on, yeah. that would be kind of interesting. I don't know if the years will line up favorably or not, but I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of in the idea. Yeah, I like that they met this early before they really became who they would become. Right. Um, and I also like the, uh, like, I don't think they're actually brothers. No. I believe the, the part later that his mom just made it all up because she was also crazy. But the idea that they are closer than you may think is interesting. And he's super creepy and he touches Bruce and, like, forces him to smile. Like he puts his fingers in his mouth and like makes him smile. And yeah. of course, Alfred is like, Hey, fuck off. <laughs> and he doesn't, he like grabs Alfred and is, you know, runs away. And Alfred just says that, you know, your mom is mistaken. You are not Thomas related to Thomas Wayne. And you just need to leave. And he does. Yep, and then uh, they find out that his mom is very ill. She gets transported to the emergency room. Yes, uh, this we find out later is because some police came to the house and started asking her questions about the subway murders and possibly Arthur's connection to them. And 
he goes to visit her at the hospital. She had a stroke. The cops accost him there and try to talk to him, and he kind of just brushes them off. And it's just like, you know, my mom's, I got to go help my mother. I, I like this really good moment here where uh, he's just kind of like, fuck the police, flicks his cigarette away like he's a badass, and then he just immediately just runs into a door. <laughs> so, like, he's trying to be cool and, like, you know, whatever, fuck you guys, and then he just immediately just bashes into a door real hard. <laughs> it's a really funny moment to me. Um, but, yeah, I, I, he imagines that Sophie is there with him for part of it too. He's sitting with his mom and uh, Murray comes on and he's watching Murray and Murray plays a clip of him at the comedy club and makes fun of it. And that like, you know, breaks his mind. I think right then and there he's going to do, by the way. Um, I do. I think it's like that early on. He's like, Oh, Murray's actually a bad guy. Yep. And I'm going to kill him. Yep. But, uh, or at least, you know, something to that effect. And then he sees on the news that, uh, <laughs> all these people are, are protesting with the clown thing. Yeah. He had a little side that says Wayne equals fascist, which I think is great. Eat the <laughs> And, uh, and so to that, he devises a plan to, uh, to go confront. Thomas Wayne. So he gets into a yeah. theater. I don't know what his plan would have been like if Thomas didn't go to the bathroom, but um, he like <laughs> he like steals like a usher's outfit. So I have a question about the time period of this movie, by the way. Yeah, because it feels like it's all over the place and not necessarily pinned down. Now, Wikipedia claims that it takes place in 1981 and there is a lot of storefronts and things that would suggest that it's late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. But this fucking movie theater is playing a Charlie Chaplin film and it's silent and it has like a live orchestra, like how old movies would be. And also like a lot of the TV like shows and things like we only ever see the news or Murray Franklin and those are in color. But we also see like Arthur watching old movies in black and white. What? What I would assume, I'm kind of interested in this hodgepodge of time periods, which Gotham can be. That's yeah. one of the things I like about the animated series. Like all the cars are 30s cars, but there's still TVs, and there's still modern news, and there's still like Batman with all of his high tech gadgets. Yeah, what I would assume and, that this is is <laughs> the time period that they say takes place makes sense, like the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, and this this theater is just like a fucking like super elegant rich person theater where they like show. Well, it's like you know, hey, you can have the experience of watching a silent movie just like in the twenties. I get that, but it was it did stand out to me. But hey, it's cool. I appreciate a Charlie Chaplin reference. Yeah. Um, and so he waits until Thomas goes to the bathroom, and then accosts him in the bathroom, and introduces himself and says, I think I'm your son. And, you know, kind of like points out that they look similar, but Thomas is like, she is crazy. She adopted you. 
and she was in Arkham for a while and you're not my fucking kid. And then Arthur is really upset and yelling at him. And then Thomas punches him in the fucking face and said, touch my son again. Or I'll fucking kill you. Which to be fair, although Thomas Wayne is presented as pretty unlikable in this movie and in this scene, I kind of get why he does this. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. I mean, he did like come to his home and, you know, stalk his kid slightly. Right. So, like, fuck that. And fuck then, with my family, you know. An hour and seven minutes into this film. Uh huh. Very important thing happens. <sighs> Arthur. Mm-hmm. Climbs into his fridge. <laughs> That's two films, I believe, on Get and Job that have featured a, a character climbing into a fridge. Yep. Um, For very different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> also, very different characters, but uh, also Andy very different the... qualities of film too. Yeah, but um, when Andy climbs into the fridge, it's to uh, save himself somehow, whatever, and then. And this one, it's because uh, he just really wanted to climb into depressed. That hey, sometimes you just got to throw out all your groceries and climb in the fridge and just have to think, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Mister Freeze kind of lives in a fridge in Batman and Robin. Do you want to count that? <laughs> and then, uh, uh, a callback, real quick. Um, I remember when Joker came out, I presented to you because I saw it before you saw it. Uh, things that were true about the movie yeah. and things like one of them was fake. And you did not believe that him getting into the fridge was real. I mean, yeah, how the fuck? Why the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's be fair here. Why would you think that that would be a thing that happens? I don't blame you for just. Um, thinking that that was bullshit because <laughs> like, I think we had watched kingdom of the crystal skull fairly recently. Yeah. So it, it felt like too much of a, a joke about that. Yeah. So you were like, you know, fuck that. And, but it's really funny that he actually does get in the fridge. In this movie. <laughs> it's kind of just apropos of nothing. It's not my favorite moment in the movie. It's, it's like, okay, you know, he could have been doing movie. anything else. Um, I think him. I think there's funnier things in the movie, like him fucking hitting that door, or um, a, a violently dark, humorous moment. In a little bit, is my favorite. Actually, now that I think about it, but um, yeah, he gets a call from the Murray Franklin show. Yep, a woman who works there asking him to come on the show because the clip of him, you know, was a was a big hit, and Murray wants him to come on. And he's like, yeah, because he has a plan for that. Um, and then I believe he goes to Arkham, right? To check in, to like yeah, like to look about his mom's. Yeah. So the guy there like starts talking to him about it. Uh-huh. And he doesn't want to give him the file, but he, Arthur steals it and reads it. And... Yeah, it seems like his mom was super delusional. Uh, I think they say she was like schizophrenic. Yeah. And 
she adopted Arthur. Uh, we briefly see like her like being interviewed at Arkham and she kind of like has like claims that Thomas, the adoption was Thomas's idea because he didn't want like his illegitimate son to hurt his career or whatever. So they lied and said it was an adoption, but I don't really believe that. I think she just got deluded, was in love with Thomas Wayne, made herself think that she had his kid. And then on top of all of that, she wasn't a very good mom at all because she tied him to a fucking radiator and the boyfriend abused him and she did nothing. I believe. Yeah. Decided to stay with whoever the boyfriend was while he was regularly abused and uh, possibly had severe mental physical trauma uh, from like hits to the head, which may have resulted in how Arthur is now. Uh, So that's all bad shit. That's all terrible shit for him to just learn. And he is really out of sorts. And again, we have escalation because he is super fucking dreary and pissed and descending further into madness. I believe we should have mentioned by now that uh, the city had cut off the funding of like the social work. Yeah. So now he's not getting therapy or medication, I believe. Yes. Uh, so that's just worse. <laughs> and then he, um, then he just goes into Sophie's apartment. He goes and sits down in Sophie's apartment, and then she is shocked to find him there. And, you know, the movie's expecting you to go like, oh, but what? That doesn't make sense. Oh, wait a minute. He imagined the whole thing. And I feel like as soon as she reacts harshly, the audience understands this. But for some reason, the movie decides to do this whole, like, Fight Club esque moment where they show that he was actually alone during all of these instances. Yeah, I didn't think they needed to do that. As a little- I, I think that was a step too far that they didn't necessarily need to do. Uh, you know, in Fight Club, I think that that twist is. I mean, it's sort of similar, but not necessarily. Where like, I think that twist needs that explanation because it feels like it doesn't make sense in the moment, and showing your your Edward Norton character by himself and there is no Brad Pitt in a lot of these situations is kind of necessary. Sorry to spoil Fight Club from the fucking 90s, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> like, it does, you don't need it here because you have that harsh reaction and it's already established that he um, has a lot of delusions throughout the movie. So... I think it makes sense immediately, and they didn't need to have a bit. Right. I agree. And then we have him in the hospital with his mom. Uh, and then he stands up, delivers the iconic the iconic line. Mm-hmm. It was in all the trailers. Yeah, we used to think my life was a tragedy, but now I realize it's a comedy. And then he... Uh, he says it's a fucking comedy right, yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he suffocates her with the pillow. Brutal scene. And then he just like looks out of the window like everything is pleasant now. And uh, now he's he goes 
dressed up to <laughs> go on the Murray Franklin show. Yeah. Everything's cool. He's putting on his clown makeup. He he fucking puts paint on his tongue. Okay. So he's not fully dressed yet. Shirtless. Um, half of the clown makeup is on. And his former friend from the uh, clown agency question mark uh, comes by along with another character who I guess we declined to mention who is a dwarf. Uh, one of the only people that treated him nice there. So they're both there and uh, I, I guess with the implication being that they came to see how he was doing after they heard that his mom dies. Maybe the guy has a little bit of guilt on ratting him out about the gun, but, uh, Arthur doesn't really care. And he grabs a pair of scissors and kills that dude super hard and super brutally right in front of, uh, Gary, the dwarf who is really, really upset by this, uh, understandably. And he's just like, Arthur, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, Arthur kind of just acts like what? Like, like he didn't do anything. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, Gary, don't worry. I'm not going to kill you. You were always nice to me. And, uh, you know, go ahead. Yeah, but then he pulls a joke on Gary and goes, ah, and then Gary like runs away. This is my favorite darkly comic moment in the movie. Yeah. Uh, Gary needs to leave and he can't because he can't reach the the chain lock and he asks Arthur to get it for him. And Arthur does. <laughs> He's just like, Oh yeah, sorry, Gary. <laughs> and then just lets him leave. And <laughs> like, I liked this moment a lot because while there are interpretations of the Joker where he is completely amoral and kills virtually anyone, I like this kind of interpretation where, this one kind of only kills people that he feels like deserves it. And the people that don't, he doesn't really give a shit what they do. Like Gary probably is going to go immediately talk to the cops. Right. And I feel like he does because those detectives are on his ass soon after this, but he doesn't really care because whatever he didn't really wrong him at any point in his life. He's cool with Gary. And I like that, like, his ire is directed at not everyone necessarily. Although, um, see, I interpret the scene where he leaves Sophie's apartment to suggest that he didn't kill her at all. Yeah. But I believe there are some people that interpret it as he did kill her. Um, I don't interpret it that way. No, he didn't. I don't think he did. Um, There is actually a scene that they cut from the film for time or like pacing issues where she is one of the people that watched his uh, appearance on Murray Franklin coming up here, Uh, which makes sense that she would, but they just cut it. And that's like the last we see of her in the movie was when he left her apartment earlier. Uh, which I think is fine because at that point the fantasy breaks and he doesn't have this fantasy that he's dating her anymore. 
and then get the dance, the, the dance of the stairs. The iconic scene, you know, it was a meme on Twitter when some dude was all like uh, saying that, like, this is pure Kino or whatever he said, like, you know, <laughs> this is cinema at its finest. And like, I love this scene. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think it's pretty great performance. The music fits perfectly. I love that the music shifts to a creepy, dark score yep. a little bit of the way through. Uh, because it really hammers home that, like, you know, yeah, there's aspects of the Joker that are kooky and fun, but really, it's not at all. <laughs> yeah, like, it's it's fucked up and weird and not, you know, bad things are about to happen. But anyway, now the detectives are here. Yep, they're chasing mm-hmm. after him. He gets away into By the way, what do you think of his look? I love this new Joker outfit. I was iffy on it at first, but I fucking love this Joker outfit. It's super unique in all the other ones. Yeah, and I think it's fantastic. I love how haggard the makeup gets after his run here. Yeah. But yeah, he runs away from the cops. This is also a a scene that gets memed a lot because he gets hit by a car here. And I've watched all kinds of videos where like, you know, Drake and Josh hit him. And, and like a bunch of shit. Uh, but yeah, he uh, so he gets away from these cops. Because like these riots are happening right now with a bunch of people dressed as clowns. And he like kind of like gets through the subway running away from these cops and everybody in the subway or like the protesters wearing cop. Uh, I'm sorry, wearing clown masks. So they already hate these cops and they're like, fucking get off of me, man. Fuck you. And the cop accidentally fucking shoots a guy who, like, starts, like, fighting him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they just start beating the shit out of these cops. And the Joker gets away. And he laughs the whole time and, you know, walks away smoking a cigarette like he's walking away from an, an explosion in an action movie. <laughs> and uh, it's a pretty great moment. And then he just walks to the Murray Franklin show. Yep. Just walk straight over and this is the most talked about scene in this movie coming up here. Yep. That's a little chat. With, uh... He has a little chat with Marie and he's very polite and cordial, but asks if he can introduce him as Joker because that's what he called him in his little bit about him on his show. By the way, Mark Marin is here for some reason. Anyway, Mark Marin leaves and we don't see him ever again. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I was wondering way before this movie came out what Mark Maron was doing in it and what his role would be. His role is to be in it for 10 seconds and then not be in it anymore. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Here we are at the the Murray Franklin show. Yep. Those of you coming out soon. They have a little chat about what happened on the subway. Mm-hmm. producer's like, I don't know if you should wear that makeup. The clown just got killed in the subway. Arthur's just like, oh, I didn't hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Lying through his teeth. You get the, you get the little shot before he's about to come out. There's a little dance and the curtain opens up. That's, always, that's in all the trailers. Yeah. yeah then he gets the... Then he sits down... 
and they start talking. <sighs> this scene is fucking great. It's really upsetting, but it's fucking great. It's fantastic. This is the best. I scene think in the it's movie for sure. the best scene in the whole movie. Yeah. So he, you know, kind of just does whatever he feels like and says whatever he feels like. Like this is the first time where he is truly one hundred percent Joker as a character, and he like embellishes and immerses himself in his role as Joker. He reads a joke. It's not a funny joke. It's about, you know, a kid getting murdered or yep. something. And Murray's like, that's not funny. And then he's like, I think it's funny. Like when those guys on the subway, like when I killed those guys on the subway. So he admits that he's the guy that did that on live television to everybody. Uh, and kind of explains that he was okay with doing that and thought it was a good thing to do. And Murray, of course, is like, no, that's that's bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just keeps ranting and raving. And it escalates to the point where he tells another joke, which, uh, you know. What's the joke, Justin? You got the movie. Yeah, hold on. I'll get the exact line. Wait, 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 what do you get when you cross a mentally ill load over the society that abandons him and treats him <laughs> like trash? I'll tell you what you get. You get what you fucking deserve that he shoots him in the head. And, uh, man, I've seen a lot of people get shot in a movie. But <laughs> this one is really effective at feeling like really shocking and real. Yeah. And and it, it's not even like the like he's killed like several people before this. It's body count the body count like four. The point. body count of this movie is pretty low, all things considered. But all the scenes depicting violence are fucking way more upsetting than anything else. But. It is funny to note that this film probably has the lowest body count of anything on this list, including 60s Batman and Teen Titans go to the movies. But, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> um, yep. And he grabs the camera and starts, uh, starts trying to close the show, then it cuts. <laughs> and he's getting taken away in a police car now. Cops pick him up. Mm-hmm. He's laughing to himself. And they're like, what's so funny? I think he says... Isn't you it? wouldn't get it? Or maybe not? No, that's later. They're like, you're responsible for all this, and the city's in hell. And he's like, you know, yes, I he... know, isn't it beautiful? Yeah, that's what he says, yeah. So now, they, they uh, you know, an ambulance crashes into the cop car. Mm-hmm. And he's all fucked up. By the way, this is intercut with uh, the Wayne murders happening, by the way. Yep. And, uh, yeah, Bruce Wayne's parents get shot in front of him by a dude in a clown mask who says to Thomas Wayne, you get what you fucking deserve and shoots him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a little ham-fisted that it's that directly connected to the events that Arthur spiraled into motion. Yeah. 
But it makes sense for this movie, I guess, to attach the Wayne murders to his crimes. Yeah. In what they've established so far, I think it makes sense that everything he put forth into motion results in Thomas Wayne getting killed. I feel like it's more about that than Bruce. Uh, But obviously the implication is in his effort to change society, the ironic thing is he kind of did because this results basically in Batman. Yeah. If you want to look at it that way, Mm -hmm. which um, is a joke. (laughs) And the movie kind of points that out at the end. Yep. A little bit. Um, But anyway, before the end end, he gets pulled out of the cop car by uh, his fellow clowns. And uh, it is unclear if this is actually happening or he is imagining it. But they all rally behind him and they're like, yeah, yeah. And he stands up and he's like, yeah, but he's all fucked up. And then it just cuts to him in Arkham. So I'm not necessarily sure if he imagined all that or not, or if he just got arrested later on. Um, if the Wayne murders happened, then I, I would have to believe that the people wearing clown masks were in such a fervor that they would kind of like worship Arthur. Yeah. So I think that that did happen. He just gets arrested later. After who knows what else happens. That's what I would assume, yeah. Yeah, they cut him in Arkham, he's laughing. It's it's just, you know, kind of like bookending it with his uh, first meeting with the social worker. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says, what's so funny? And he said, I was thinking of a joke. Cuts to Bruce Wayne standing over his parents. Dead bodies. Yep. And then he says, you wouldn't get it. Which I believe is the last line of the film, besides the lyrics to That's Life, which play as uh, we get this great shot of him walking down a hallway with leaving bloody footprints, which seems to suggest he just killed somebody and is trying to make his escape from Arkham. Just killed his therapist, maybe? Yeah, probably. And... uh, but we don't know if he escapes or not, because in the background, we see him running away from some people and some people chasing him. Uh, and then the movie ends with a big The End uh, Hollywood font. It's actually the font from the end of Citizen Kane, yep. by the way. Yep, same exact uh, font. Which I think was used in a couple movies. It's not necessarily a Citizen Kane thing. I saw some people trying to dunk on it. Where it was like, oh, the audacity to end your movie with the same fucking font as fucking Citizen Kane. And I'm like, well, I don't know. This movie kind of borrows a lot of stuff from a lot of classics. Um, and kind of just all molds it together into something that feels kind of new and fresh. Which I appreciate a lot. <sighs> anyway, that's uh, that's the Joker, baby. That's the Joker, baby. So I think I liked this movie a lot more on second viewing, to be honest. Um, I haven't seen it since the theaters. Um, I really appreciate it. I don't know. Um, I know that it has it has its detractors. Uh, it has yeah. people who think it's kind of like full of itself and up its own ass or like, you know, think it's like- thinks it's smarter than it is. But I think, you know, this is 
a decent film that is elevated to a, a great film by a, an absolutely amazing performance by Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, his performance is incredible. I uh, I will say this: my original opinion on the film hasn't necessarily changed. Hmm. Well, this isn't necessarily a movie that like you want to have fun. You want to watch a movie. You pop it in. Like this is like a. It's honestly more comparable to something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Yeah, you know, which way like we talked about that with you before. Where like it's an upsetting, fucked up movie that is really effective and good, but it's not a fun watch. It's not something you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that movie a hundred times. I love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> um But I think it's you know it's successful at what it is trying to do. And it's a fascinating little movie. Yeah. It's also just like, kind of, and I, I find it to be kind of an uncomfortable watch. Yeah. Which like, doesn't mean well, that, which means that I think it's a good movie, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. It's just kind of like, it's, it's funny. I feel about it kind of the same way I do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Where it's like, it makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> so speaking of generating uncomfortableness yeah before we get to ranking this movie i guess we should talk about how this film uh before it came out generated a lot of controversy yeah you start talking about that uh, grab a water real quick you go ahead buddy. there was fear of shootings and violent acts at screenings be that began to be reported by the mass media before the release of the movie um, now, however, despite that, there weren't any major acts of violence that actually occurred at any screenings of this movie. Um, so you have like two sides to this, both of which I feel are wrong. Uh, the sides that were worried that this was some kind of incel anthem yeah, and it was the, going uh, to, you know, spark a bunch of fucking shootings at theaters but like you know and and i feel like a lot of the fears were stoked by you know we live in america before covid slowed this down there was school shootings and mass shootings uh constantly and yeah. it's kind of scary uh and there was a super significant one at a movie theater for the premiere of the dark knight rises and that kind of escalates the profile of this shit as well, because that guy claimed to uh, be inspired by the Joker from the Dark Knight and all that kind of shit. So all this to say, it was just a lot of outrage and fear mongering over basically nothing. Uh, a, a thing I pointed out a while ago, I think on this show, uh, that was kind of funny to me was there was more violent things that happened during screenings of Frozen 2 <laughs> than the Joker movie because um, there was some kind of fucking machete incident <laughs> of some sort during a Frozen 2 screening. I don't think anybody died, but um, it was kids perpetrating it like teenagers or something. I don't really know. I don't remember the specifics of that story, but... I feel like just everybody was overly worried. And then once you see the movie, I don't even understand how it's an incel anthem. 
I don't even view him as that much of an incel. I guess you could point out like him fantasizing that he's in a relationship, but like, I mean, God, I don't know. I think taxi driver is more of an incel anthem, I suppose, but it's still not like on the side of Travis Bickle. He's not like a hero. (laughs) Like this movie isn't presenting the Joker it's presenting him as the protagonist, but not as a hero or as someone you should emulate <laughs> the actions of. So that whole reaction was stupid. But then you have the reaction from the filmmaker, which is also stupid because Todd Phillips blames the far left. He blames outrage culture. He blames SJWs. Oh, yeah. And, you know, for the film's reputation leading up to its premiere. And I think he's just kind of like super cringy. He's kind of a jackass. He made a good film. I will definitely give him credit on that. Uh, While this movie is mainly carried by Joaquin Phoenix, it's not poorly directed. He is fine. Carried, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it, if you know, I think he did a good job, but other directors could have probably did it as well. Uh, maybe even better than Todd Phillips. Oh yeah, definitely. but I'm glad that he had a vision. I'm glad that he got to carry it. Yeah, sure. But yeah, he does seem like kind of a kind of a douche, particularly when uh, you know there was other interviews where he was like, "Oh man, I feel like I had to make Joker because you know I can't make a comedy when everybody's fucking triggered all the time." Ha <laughs> ha. And I'm just like, "Shut up, dude! Please shut up." Maybe just make not fucking 19 hangover movies and then the old movies might be funny. Dude, come on. <laughs> but anyway, um, all that to say, none of that affected the success of the movie. Not at all. The movie was a huge success, grossing $1.074 billion dollars against its 70 million budget so huge success for warner brothers uh compare that to justice league uh so joker's the first r-rated film ever to cross that billion dollar mark Mm -hmm. and as such it's the highest grossing r-rated film of all time and it's 31st highest grossing in general like usually i'm gonna have to assume pg-13 got that on lock (laughs) um with the avengers movies and whatnot and then the film was later nominated for 11 Academy Awards with uh, Phoenix winning Best Actor and giving a weird speech where he, uh, you know, attacked the dairy industry. And Hilder Gudadodir, or whatever, uh, how do you say her name, won Best Score, which I believe was deserved because it was pretty solid. Uh, and the film, you know, so it was initially intended to stand alone, not have any connection to any universe, not have a sequel. But then it made a billion dollars. So um, there is possibly a sequel in development with Phillips returning and Phoenix returning. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know necessarily what you do, though. I have heard the idea that basically you just emulate another 70s movie. And that would be One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm -hmm. And you set the film in Arkham. And I think that would be pretty great. Like it's it's the entire movie is about him escaping, um, and meeting possibly other 
Batman villains, I would have to guess, in the asylum. That could be the other like weirdo characters he meets who are, you know, given the treatment to be more realistic like this Joker. It'd be risky, but it could be really cool if they did it right. It could have a different vibe and tone than than the last movie, too. But we will see what comes of that. We were certainly not getting a Jared Leto joke. I'll tell you that much. Uh, which, by the way, we have talked about it before, but he was super pissed. Oh, yeah. He was super pissed, dude. <laughs> um, you know, because they were like, oh, yeah, dude, we're so excited that you're the new joke anyway. Um, and then the movie, the movie comes out and they're like, anyway, so we're going to make this other Joker movie. He got he got super pissed. Anyway, you can see him in Morbius this year if covid stops uh, or just don't do that. Don't. Yeah, uh, good God, that movie looks horrendous. Oh, my God. So, um, I guess we'll save the ranking for last. You just want to talk about a couple other things before we get to that? Yeah, sure. Hit me up, buddy. What do we got? Well, I got a couple lists that I made here. Um, What should we do? Well, let's start. Let's start with this because we just watched Joker. I got I got rankings of Jokers and Batmans that we saw throughout this entire experience, and I guess I could start with the Joker ranking because we just watched Joker. Um, so there were, by my count, seven different actors who gave very different portrayals of this character over the like really long span of time of films that we watched here, like dating back to 1966 at the bottom of the list at number seven, go ahead and give me a guess. Go ahead and say his name. Josby. I know you know who. (laughs) Just go ahead. Is, is Jared. It's, it's Jared. (laughs) (laughs) It's my boy Jared. Look, there's no way anyone else worse. There's no way. He is the absolute, like, he's a nothing character in a nothing movie. He doesn't add anything to the character that is not annoying. Um, it's not an interesting portrayal. It's it's just shit all around. All of their ideas were bad. And all the people saying that he got shafted and there was they cut out too much of his Joker material... If there was more, it would be worse. Absolutely. Is my take on that. If there was more, it would be worse. So above him at number six, we got Zach Galifianakis as the Lego Joker. (laughs) Which, like, in my opinion, all the other ones are pretty good. Jared Leto is the only one that stands out to me as shit. The rest were entertaining. I think the Galifianakis Joker was a funny comedic take on this character. I like how obsessed he was with Batman to the point where it was portrayed like it was a relationship. Um, let's see here. Five is Cesar Romero, the man who would not shave his mustache. <laughs> um, the kooky 60s Joker, not necessarily a psychotic mass murderer, but just, you know, a goofster 
Uh, but man, it's entertaining. Number five, or hang on, can I count? Can you? No, this is number four. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. It's a great performance. It's a classic. Um, I, there's a lot of people who uh, kind of just try to stick to the notion that this is the best. I can't really say that. I think some of the other ones were more entertaining and more well-rounded. Yeah. Although this is still a really fun one. Oh, absolutely. Right above that, I got Mark Hamill as the classic animated series Joker. Uh, noted here for his appearance in Mask of the Phantasm. I love the Mark Hamill Joker. I think he's the best of both extremes. The the kooky side the entertaining, actually funny Joker, and then the malicious, evil side. Yeah. I think he's the best of both worlds. He's a happy medium. I love his voice. I love his laugh. And I debated at putting him higher because I personally like his voice and performance as the Joker a lot in a lot of things. But number two, Joaquin Phoenix for all the reasons we just said, it's yeah. a it's an Oscar winning performance. I would, but uh, the only thing that can top it is, in my opinion, another Oscar winning performance, and that's Heath Ledger at yeah. the top. I would <laughs> see. I would. I pretty much agree with your list entirely, except I would swap. I would swap Joaquin Phoenix and Mark Hamill. You think Hamill better than Joaquin? Yeah. I think it's more. I think, it, I think it's just uh, once again, it, it like we were saying, it's the best of both worlds kind of performance. I think it's uh, it's the best in my opinion, all encompassing type of Joker, and the only thing that beats it with Heath Ledger is that sort of uniqueness it brings to the table. I think it's more powerful than the kind that Joaquin brings to the table. See, I viewed both Heath and Joaquin's performances as more singular and more iconic. Just because, like, you know, you point to one movie, and that's the only thing you get for the portrayal of these versions of the characters. And they're very different from each other, and they're very different from everything else. And I like how singular and powerful they are. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I've debated doing the same thing that you just said, but the reason I gave it to Joaquin and Heath is they really put their all into it, and they went physical as shit with it. Joaquin in particular fucking uh-huh. with the losing of weight that was probably uncomfortable but um oh quite i'm not saying mark hamill doesn't give it his all but it's not a physical performance it is a voice acting job that doesn't mean it is lesser i still considered putting him at number one they, these top three are super close in my opinion and you could interchange them i agree yeah that's fine now let's talk batman's which i think um in my opinion was easier but i, yeah, I, I agree. will I will probably have a controversial one or two in here. Um, at the bottom, I believe we have eight Batmans in comparison. Yes, we have eight Batmans. At the bottom, I got George Clooney. Yep. And, you know, that's just going to have to be how it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it's he, he doesn't seem like he wants to be there. He doesn't give a good performance. I, I like the look. Of him is Bruce Wayne. I'll give him that. But his Batman is terrible. They try to have that 60s Adam West quality, and he does not come close. 
he's not as like earnest about how goofy this is. And I wish he was, you know, I don't know. A lot of people hate Batman and Robin because it's cheesy, but I feel like they could have embraced it better (laughs) and had it be a fun time. Uh, Mass audience probably still wouldn't like it, but anyway, right above him is Val Kilmer, which like, I assume that you would have guessed that as well. Uh, He's also not good, but he is better than Clooney. Marginally. <laughs> I can't deny that. Marginally, marginally. I mean, both of those movies have heaps of faults with them. Um, but um, obviously, Batman and Robin is just worse. Also, the look of that Batman was worse. So, mm-hmm. this is where I feel like people will be mad at me. Above that, at number six, is Michael Keaton, which is really low. And I do want to say that I like him a lot as Batman. I like Michael Keaton as an actor and I like his performance in both of those movies. But I think my main problem is that he isn't even the focus of his own film in both cases. There's not a lot of him and it's hard for me to make a judgment based on that. I feel like I got more of a sense of what the Batman was in every other person i have here that being said it's not bad i would view it more as like you know sixth place sounds bad but in my opinion all the rest of them are pretty good the only ones you want to avoid are kilmer and clooney would you put keaton higher what do you think um yeah because i i would i don't know you probably wouldn't like this but i actually put will arnett here I have him above Keaton, but the only reason I have him above Keaton is I feel like I really I keep thinking about Lego Batman and how fucking funny it is. And I like that comedic interpretation of the character a lot, (laughs) that narcissistic fucking asshole Batman. Um, And I got more of a sense of that character and more of a complete package of that character than the Michael Keaton one who is barely in his movies. Yeah. Those movies are more about the Joker and the Penguin and Catwoman. And, you know, they're entertaining. They're great. They're super watchable. But I don't think he's a shining moment in either of them. No, and and nor do I actually think Will Arnett's a shining moment in the Lego Batman movie, if I'm being honest. (laughs) He's funny as shit. I don't know. He puts in a good performance. It's super funny. But I understand why you feel that way. (laughs) Anyway, this I think we can agree on. I got Adam West next. Maybe you put him higher. I don't know. But um, Adam West is a classic. Batman was goofy back then. And, you know, in comparison to the other goofy Batman on this list, he's going to win out. Yeah. Like, he's better than Will Arnett for sure. Um. Just because I just love how the delivery of his lines, despite the fact that everything he's saying is complete nonsense because he's in 60s Batman, is so good and perfect. It, it kind of has that like Shatner quality to it where like he's just kind of like delivers his lines with the utmost seriousness, dis- like regardless of context. 
<laughs> and um, I've always loved that about 60s Batman and how stupid it is and how fun it is. I, I really like that that's where we started with this whole retrospective of Batman because it shows you how things have progressed. You know, we started with Batman 66 and we ended with Joker and those are like polar opposite films. Where would you probably put Adam West? I got him at number four. That yeah, that's that's I would agree with that one. It's like next I got Ben Affleck, right? Which is that too high? I don't no, know, but I, I really liked so. his Batman. I really Despite the movies being shit, he was good. He's the best part about about that set of movies. Yeah, it, like he's I. Actually, I wish, like, I wish it didn't suck that bad, so we could actually get like a solo Affleck Batman movie. I think I would really enjoy it. I really wish that that still happened. Um, I'm still confident in that Matt Reeves Batman movie and being good. Absolutely. But man, I'm disappointed he's not in the role still because I felt like there could have been good things from that. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where like I was proven wrong so hard because like when the casting was announced, I was like, I just couldn't think of anything except Daredevil. And I was like, fuck, like everyone else on the Internet. Um, and then the movie came out and it was shit. But I, I think he was good. He was really you could tell that he wanted to redeem himself a bit in the eyes of comic book fans. And I don't know if he succeeded because the quality of the movie was shit. He, he really got let down by a crappy script. He really did. But I love his look. And I like his performance, particularly in Batman v Superman. He's not as good as in Justice League. He kind of just wants to be done with the whole thing by then. I don't blame him, though. <laughs> yeah. Above him, I got Christian Bale, number two. Um, if you asked me before we did this retrospective, I probably would have put him like way lower. But I think I just like fell back in love with Batman Begins in the dark, and. Uh, not so much The Dark Knight Rises, but it's still an okay, watchable movie. And his performance is great. The Batman voice is kind of cringy, and it gets worse throughout the trilogy. Mm-hmm. But it's still pretty good, especially in Batman Begins. The look of his Batman is great. He plays probably the best Bruce Wayne out of anybody. I love that it's him playing a character while playing a character, basically. Yeah. Christian Bale, number two. My number one is Kevin Conroy because he is yeah. like what I think of in my head when I want to hear what Batman sounds like. Yep, absolutely. He's uh, he really like he really set the model for what yeah for what like Batman was in like TV and film, really. I, I I feel like Mark Hamill gets a lot of attention for his Joker. But I feel like Kevin Conroy deserves an equal as Batman. It's just as iconic. It's just as important to me. He is the Batman for voice work. If they choose somebody else, it better be somebody good every time. I'm like, why didn't you choose Kevin Conroy? Same way I'm like, why didn't you choose Mark Hamill, usually? Um... I, I just think he is perfect. And although I put Mark Hamill third in his list and 
Conroy first in his list. Like I still feel like they're both easy, easy first choices. If you have to like portray that character, yeah, they nail their roles so well. I just appreciated the physicality and the like complete, like descent into a character that Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix delivered. So I put them ahead of Hamill, but he's still fucking excellent. Don't view that as a diss at Hamill. <laughs> so yeah, like I don't know. Would do you just kind of like disagree with the the Michael Keaton being low? Yeah, that's. I would just I would just flip him up one more space, probably. Just one more. I mean, I guess it's not that different then. Right. Our lists for the most part are pretty similar. I think it's easy to know what's good and bad yeah. in this, this franchise because <laughs> there's, there's not a whole lot of in between, you know, like I think the, the, the only one that I could think of that's kind of in between is like Batman forever, maybe, or maybe like the dark Knight rises where like, you know, you could probably have an argument with some people that think it's great. And some people that think it's shit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Most of the other ones, it's like pretty clear cut whether it's great or shit. <laughs> so now I got this list. And this list is long, and I will just go through it pretty quickly. As we have went through all these movies, um, I, I would say Batman is only as interesting as the villains that they team him up with. That they pair him with, I should say. Mm-hmm. Batman's got like the best rogues gallery. In all of comics, nobody even comes close. If you say Spider-Man, you're wrong. Spider-Man has so many shit villains. <laughs> uh, they adapt them well sometimes, but like, you know, he has a lot of villains that are shit. But anyway, I compiled a list of all of the villains throughout this entire franchise rewatch. And I ranked them from best to worst. I could start from either end. Where where do you think I should start? I go for the bottom up. Bottom up. Yep. All right. Who? Give me a give me a shot in the dark about what you think is this fucking bottom. Whatever her fucking name is from Catwoman. What's her What's her fucking name? You are dead right. <laughs> <laughs> I forget her fucking this is name by this point. Laurel Hedare yeah, there was it is. her character's name. I wouldn't have remembered that if I didn't write it down weeks ago. Right. But um. <laughs> It's Sharon Stone from Catwoman. She fucking sucks. And right above her is fucking the Merovingian from Catwoman. He fucking sucks, too. Yep. <laughs> George Hedare. And right above them, you want to hazard a guess? <laughs> That's right. It's your boy Leto. He's down here in the muck with the fucking Catwoman villains. And that's where he fucking deserves to be. Leto Joker sucks. <laughs> yep. Above him, I got Incubus. From Suicide Squad. Yep. Um, and right above him, I have also the same character, Steppenwolf from Justice League. Uh-huh. And then I got Enchantress, also from a bad film, Suicide Squad. <sighs> then we got Lex Luthor from BVS, just a completely obnoxious, terrible interpretation of a great character that they just fucked up so bad. Mm-hmm. The miscasting of Jesse Eisenberg, the miswriting of the entire character. How annoying. 
above him, I got Poison Ivy played by Uma Thurman. Um, she she was truly the worst part about that movie, hands down. But she's still playing that character more truthfully and better than Jesse Eisenberg played Lex Luthor. And that's kind of a shame to admit that. um, Then we got Talia Al Ghul. I put her super low because the twist reveal of her even being a villain was super annoying and I hated it in the Dark Knight Rises. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of a nothing forgettable villain, but I just put her super low. Then I got Mr. Freeze, who, like, you know, is entertaining as fuck. You can't go wrong with Arnold Schwarzenegger saying some stupid fucking shit. But (laughs) it's still that movie. (laughs) It's still Batman and Robin. It's still a fucking mess. And it's still a very bad interpretation of that character. Like, (laughs) Like, Mr. Freeze should be fucking cool. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, but, um, <laughs> then I got uh, Victor Zaz from Birds of Prey, who you may have forgot was in that film. Um, I thought he was okay. I, it's it's real middle of the road for me. As we angle up here, I feel like we're getting like better villains, but not quite entertaining yet. Uh, Two-Face, as played by Tommy Lee Jones, is next. Man, he overacts his ass off in this movie. Man, does he do that. He turns this character into such a farce. I have no idea why he hated Jim Carrey so much. (laughs) Because, like, man, even Jim Carrey doesn't fucking go this overboard in Batman Forever. (sighs) Then I got... Two Catwomans. I got Anne Hathaway and then Lee Merriweather. I put Lee Merriweather higher than Anne Hathaway. I don't know. The more I thought about it, the more I didn't like Catwoman. Because she just feels like completely unattached to the whole movie. Yep. And just kind of unnecessary. And like they kind of just dropped the ball at having that even be a character in the first place. I would have felt more earned if she was in the other two. You know? And it built up to something. Instead, she just kind of comes out of nowhere. And the forced relationship between her and Bruce really wasn't something I bought into. So I put Lee Merriweather higher than her just uh, as mainly just a diss to that interpretation of Catwoman. Um, the Lee Merriweather one is is stupid, but all that stuff with her portraying that Russian uh, was funny. <laughs> so I put her higher. <laughs> then I got Christopher Walken <laughs> as Max Shrek, which is an interesting name. Yeah, that's. Uh... I felt like he was super entertaining. Honestly, I-, I feel like this is where I actually enjoy the villains. Is where we're at now. Yeah. But I liked the Caesar Romero Joker better than him. Yeah, absolutely. Now I struggled with this one a lot because he should probably be lower. But I like his performance to a point, and that's the Aaron Eckhart Two-Face. I think he's a good portrayal of Two-Face, but there are a couple moments where he his performance is lacking and it's kind of iffy. 
but it's still a pretty fascinating portrayal of that character. And I wish there was more of it. But I can't really justify putting him any higher. Because it's kind of iffy. I don't know if you agree or not. I think you do from what I remember what we talked about Dark Knight. He, he's definitely like. It's not as good of an interpretation as the Heath Ledger Joker. I'll say that. Uh, then we got, I liked the Zach Galifianakis Joker quite a bit. I put him here. Similarly, I put Slade from the Teen Titans Go movie. They're both very jokey, cartoony villains. Um, I put Slade higher because I think he's more effective as an actual villain. But that's also more ridiculous of a movie, if you can believe it. <laughs> I'm sure you can. We just watched it. Yep. Then I got Jim Carrey, Riddler. Above him, Frank Gorshin, Riddler. I feel like I like the 60s Riddler better still, but they're comparable. Um, they're both super unhinged interpretations of that character. I feel like the next Riddler we get will be more subdued and low-key. He'll be like... I'm picturing more of like a puppet master, kind of like Hannibal Lecter kind of deal. Where it's not like a super kooky guy. I'm I'm assuming that that's how we're going to get the next Riddler. Whenever the hell that will be. Then I got the Phantasm, who's kind of more like an anti than a villain. But I really liked that storyline in Mask of the Phantasm. That's a great movie. So I still put this pretty high. I liked... Then I got the the villains from Batman Returns. Or no, I don't. That penguin is higher. I got Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman next. Okay. She's great. I think we're in the top ten now. Yeah, after her, we're in the top ten. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's a couple dumb things with the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman, but uh, it's the highest-ranked Catwoman here. I agree. Not that I ranked the Halle Berry one, because she's not a villain. But still... Way better. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I liked her origin. I liked her performance. I liked her costume. I liked the look of that movie in general. Tim Burton's a crazy motherfucker. So now we're top 10. <laughs> this is a fun list. At number 10, we got my favorite of the 60s Batman villains, the Penguin. Burgess Meredith Penguin. Yep. He is the best of the four villains in that movie. So ridiculous particularly for the segment where he is um, undercover as Commodore Schmidlap. Uh, that is the shit. <laughs> um, I think he's the most effective of the four villains. Like that scene where he just walks into the UN building and just starts disintegrating people. <laughs> he's great. He is super funny. He's super into the cheesiness of the role. He just embraces it. It's a fun time. I, I mean, I can't watch 60s Batman without a smile on my face anyway, but he, he was perfect. I'm going to have to explain my number nine. All right. <laughs> so we watched Joker. Uh-huh. Who's the villain in Joker? Oh, God. Uh, society. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> that is... Now, I, I don't know if I let me explain, too, brother. Let me explain, though. 
Okay. It is a good villain. <laughs> it is. Sure. Tell me it ain't. <laughs> I'll tell you that I wouldn't count it. Look, man. It's been a villain to many a people in real life. <laughs> but in that movie, the way the world treats him puts in motion everything that happens. And I mean, there's no one specific thing. And I wasn't about to list every single person that does him wrong in the list of villains. And also that feels a little bit disingenuous because like he is also a villain, but I didn't put him here because he's kind of the protagonist of the film. And it's kind of hard to classify him as the villain when he is the sole focus of the movie and there is no opposing force to him. So I put society, which wronged him and made him the way he is, but also he kind of turns it against itself in the movie. And he's part of it too. Everybody part of it. Every bad person part of it. It's the worst, Justin. Number nine on the list of bad guys. Oh, man. <laughs> Whatever. You can ignore it if you want. I just thought it'd be funny. Hey. <laughs> Number eight is Black Mask from Birds of Prey. I thought he was super entertaining. He's great. Well, yeah. Sadistic, but charismatic at times. I thought he was great. I think he's my favorite part about that movie. Except for maybe Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I wanted to be in the movie more. Uh, number seven. Bane, the big guy himself. For you. Great villain. Um, I mean, we made fun of The Dark Knight Rises to death. But he's still a great villain. He's an effective, great character. And you know you got a great villain when immediately after the movie comes out, everybody is making fun of that character. So, I mean, honestly, Bane posting alone shows you that th this man deserves a top ten spot. Let's be real. <laughs> he is a big guy, and he is for you. But I still preferred a couple of the other Nolan villains above him just because they were more consistent in their film. So above him at number six, I got Scarecrow who I really liked in Batman Begins less so in his cameos in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, but it was still cool that he got cameos at all. I like his portrayal. I like Cillian Murphy a lot uh -huh. and I feel like he was more consistent than some of the stuff with Bane. Bane also gets a little bit undermined by Talia late in the movie, which is why I put her so fucking low because that pissed me off. But uh, at number five above Scarecrow, I got Liam Neeson as Ra's al Ghul. Also a great interpretation of that character. They took out my favorite part of the character, which is his resurrection abilities, but still a cool representation of the ideals of that villain and how he's such a good Batman villain. I I've always liked him as like an adventure movie kind of Batman villain, as opposed to like a crime drama Batman villain. There's different kinds. Yeah, for sure. 
And I feel like he fit really well in Batman Begins. At number four, it's Danny DeVito as the Penguin, guys. He was great. I did not remember Batman Returns being this entertaining. Yeah. Um, it's a weird interpretation of the Penguin that kind of changes the character forever into a much grosser individual. <laughs> but um, it's really super entertaining. Just DeVito just gives it his all and just embraces the fucking cruddy grossness, vomiting that fucking Listerine all over the place, eating fish, biting off people's noses being a generally disgusting man while still having an army of penguins and umbrellas. Um, <laughs> like it's so ridiculous, but it's so comic booky. And I think it's the way Batman returns was a better way to adapt sixties Batman while still maintaining a dark style way better than the Schumacher movies. I feel like they should have stuck with that aesthetic. That would have been perfect. With other characters. My top three are all Jokers, so you already kind of know the order. It's Nicholson, Hamill, Ledger. Yeah. But um, I still feel like that escalates that way pretty well because Nicholson is an effective villain, but I think Hamill is more effective, and I think Ledger is the most effective, particularly because he has that galaxy brain plan. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. I, I could dig that list, though. I could dig it. It was fun to make. I, I, I was considering, like, having all the villains, like, be paired with each other in their own respective movies, but I feel like that would be a, a vastly different list, if so. Yeah. And the movie that made me change my mind on that Night Rises, because I liked Bane a lot, but I feel like he was going to get dragged down by Catwoman. If I included. Catwoman and Talia along beside him. So I had to have them be separate after that point. And I had to like go back and consider everything else in the span of that too. But I like doing that for movies that have villains that are worth of talking about a much more interesting list to go into than like Die Hard, for example, <laughs> where it's just like, yeah, I liked Alan Rickman. Everybody else was just like, eh. <laughs> Before we get to our list, I got the Rotten Tomatoes ranking, which uh, is interesting to look at. Yeah. So the bottom is Catwoman, 9% lit. (laughs) It's a single digit. That's how you know you got a great film right there. (laughs) Usually when you have a single digit, on Rotten Tomatoes that could mean that there's like literally just 10 reviews and one of them was positive, which isn't a huge sample size, but for Catwoman, there's a humongous sample size because there was lots of reviews that tore into it. So (laughs) it really earns that 9% above it. Just a little bit is Batman and Robin at 11% also earning that 11% pretty well. Uh, We jump up a bit to Suicide Squad at 27, Batman v Superman at just one point ahead of it at 28, Uh, Batman Forever 39%, Justice League 40. Then we get a big increase. Joker was at a 68, which is a lot lower than I anticipated, 
but the response to that movie was weirdly split. And I kind of get it, but I feel like that does that movie a disservice to say it's that low. <sighs> Batman 89 got a 72. Batman 66 got a 78, as did Birds of Prey this year. Batman Returns 79, then Mask of the Phantasm at 84, then Batman Begins with 84 as well. Then The Dark Knight Rises, which is really high for The Dark Knight fucking Rises, at 87. And then our top three is really strange. It's Lego Batman with a 90, Teen Titans Go with a 91, and The Dark Knight with a 94, the highest in the franchise. If you average that out, that's a 62 on average, which is, it makes sense. (laughs) What were you going to say, Justin? Sorry. It's it's vastly different from our list. I believe, yeah, well, I think that's reflecting of the response to kids movies how that can be because usually it's it's either super negative or super positive and and also it reflects how rotten tomatoes works i'm wondering if i should look at metacritic instead in the future would that maybe give a more accurate critic list maybe i like rotten tomatoes a lot but i don't what do you think I, uh, well, Rotten Tomatoes isn't gonna, is never going to give you, like, the best, like, critically accurate list. Just because, like, as we always say about Rotten Tomatoes when we're talking about Rotten Tomatoes scores, it's just, like, if you like it even a little bit, it's going to get that tomato, and it's just an aggregation of that. Well, depending so, like, on what we do next, I might experiment, yeah, do Metacritic instead. Or Open Critic, I think, also does movies. <laughs> Okay. I just don't know if they would have listings for super old shit or not. Yeah, not sure. Like, when we initially started, that's why I was, like, feeling like I had to use Rotten Tomatoes, probably, to look into stats like this. You know, because when you're talking about, like, older movies, they could source old reviews, at least. But anyway, let's look at our list. So we got to put Joker in here. I don't know how much we're going to disagree on its placement. Yeah. How high do you think it goes? Um, let's see. Let me think about our list here. It's it's not above Batman 66. I would say it is. Really? I don't think But so. I would say not a bit higher. I think it goes right below it. Because I can at least enjoy watching Batman 66. Well, above it is Mask of the Phantasm and the two good Nolan movies. So, like, I'm not putting it higher than that. But I think I did like it better than Batman 66. But, like, I actually enjoy watching that movie. Batman 66... Well, okay. I I guess if you're looking at it like that way, I would rather watch Batman 66. But I think the Joker is truly better just it's not as watchable. I don't know. They're completely different movies, so this comparison is fucking impossible. I know. <laughs> but, but like, 
it's kind of it's kind of funny that it comes to this. Well, like, all right. Um, if if you want to put it higher, we can because I don't feel super strongly about it. These are both movies I would probably rewatch, but get number, a different reaction completely number five. out of them. So number five. Number five. Okay. So let me read the whole list here. Yep, go ahead. From from worst to best, Catwoman. Yep. <laughs> Suicide Squad. Yep. Justice League. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Batman and Robin. Batman Forever. Teen Titans go to the movies. <laughs> Birds of Prey. The Dark Knight Rises. Lego Batman. Batman Returns. Batman 1989. Joker. Batman 1966. Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Batman Begins and The Dark Knight at number one. And I feel like that's a pretty good list. And I also feel like they only get shit around that Batman Forever spot. Uh, Your experience with Teen Titans Go may vary, but it's not a bad movie. And Batman Forever is probably where you should stop watching these. Yep. So really, out of 17 films, I would say that, like, I really hate only, like, four of them. I hate Catwoman, Suicide Squad, Justice League, and Batman v Superman. I don't hate Batman and Robin and Batman Forever, but they are bad. That would be my take on that bottom chunk. I don't hate those movies because they are funny. <laughs> but um, they are bad. So your experience, your experience may vary watching those movies now. But I certainly enjoyed rewatching them. Oh. All right, let's never talk about Batman again. I'm in for that. <laughs> it's been way too long doing it. Uh, it was fun. I'm just being a dick. So, what the fuck do we watch next? Oh, ready to find out. It's been a while since I've even thought about it. So you, so I'm at my house. You're at your house. The wheel is at your house. What is on the wheel, Justin? All right, we'll go one at a time here. We got the Brett and Fraser mummy movies. <laughs> Now, let me ask you a question. Yes. I think we've long said that if we get that, we would ignore the Scorpion King. Yes. Why don't we just embrace the meme and count that as part of it? I'm in. It's going to increase the amount of movies we have to buy five, and they're all terrible. There's five Scorpion King movies? Oh, yeah. (laughs) However, I feel like... It would be really entertaining. <laughs> It'd be a big meme for sure. It'd be good, good podcast content for us to just like be pissed every week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're already going to be pissed every week. We're stuck in our homes. So, I mean, there's no, there's no, I'm not saying we're going to get it, but let me just clarify. Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm into including more shit. Sure. Um, Likewise, if resident evil's on there, which I believe it is, I don't want to add the animated movies. I do, no, but that's a discussion we can have later. I think, I think the big difference with that is this is already eight fucking movies, and, like, I'd be okay with adding that stuff to The Mummy, because otherwise it would only be, like, what, three? So, like, I'm yeah, okay with adding... Yeah, it'd be three movies. I'm okay with adding Scorpion King to The Mummy, because it makes it, like, eight, which is, like, kind of like our normal, 
Eight's eight's a good amount. Yeah, and God, I don't want to add three more. I don't want to make the Resident Evil thing like eleven or twelve fucking movies. I'm, I'm no, it would just make it nine. There's six, and then there would be three animated. I guess so it'd be it's nine. Not terrible. I just think that. those would be something to look forward to because those are bad, but they're bad in a different way, and it would be something fresh to look at, and we wouldn't get super sick as much. Yeah. of Resident Evil time. But uh and also they'd be pretty funny to discuss. But we could talk about that later. Yeah. There's no there's no guaranteeing we're going to get either of those. Right. So what else is on the wheel? Uh RoboCop? I believe that's only 4 movies. Yes. So that's a pretty good one to get. Uh Back to the Future versus only 3. That's pretty easy too. Those are all good. Those are all great. Mhm. Mission Impossible? That's also a really good one to get. I haven't seen any of them, but I've wanted to for a long time, a and I've heard that they're there. like all good, basically. A lot of good movies in there. Um, yeah, got the Resident Evil, like we were talking before. Uh, the Godfather, oh, which is another short one. That is only three. Yep. And well, it's two movies, and then there's another one. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, Planet of the Apes, which is a fun one. That is a long one, but. I feel like it'd be worth it. Yeah. Uh, then we have Psycho. Right. I don't know how many that is. Four? Four. Yep. That's like three too many, but I would watch it. <laughs> at least one other one of them is good, actually. So. I have I've oddly heard that a couple of them are good, but yeah. Uh, Friday the 13th, which is a lot of movies. I think that's what I'm rooting for here, man. It'd be a fun one. I yeah. feel like we haven't done a long watching a bunch of a watching a bunch of uh, dumb teenagers die sounds like a cool way to spend the COVID uh, times. <laughs> um, that's a lot of movies. I, I believe that is 11, it 12, is. 12 movies. Yeah. So that'll be another long one. But I, I embrace it because yeah. that would be fun. Right. Um, and then to replace Batman, uh, <laughs> we're going to put Superman on there. So to clarify what this would include, uh, we would watch the Christopher Reeves starring four Superman movies, then the Brandon Ruth Superman Returns. Then we watch Henry Cavill in Man of Steel, which none of us want to watch, but uh, it counts. And we would count Batman v Superman and Justice League in the rankings, but considering we watched them already on our show, we would not rewatch them. Right. We'll just place them accordingly, which will probably be at the bottom, uh, which is fine. (laughs) (laughs) But that being said, I guess it's time to rattle me bones. Yep. Time to rattle. Put in the song, put in the song, take what you will, but don't forget to put in the song. All right, here we go. No, wait, that that was a good enough spin. Hold on. Oh, don't break the wheel. Come on. Hold on a second. I think I see what the problem is. It's only spinning like three spaces and then stopping, and I see why now. All right. You definitely need it to go all the way around like a Price is Right wheel right. for it to count. Here we go. We got it. Get hurt. I'm not kidding. It landed on Friday the 13th. Hell yeah, dude. I'm excited. Oh, man. We get to do a horror franchise again, yeah, it's which been we've a while. done a million times. It feels like it's been a while, though. It has been. I mean, we did Texas Chainsaw, what, three franchises ago? I believe. At least it feels like it's been a long time because Batman took forever. Right. But um, 
we were watching those like last year, right? It was around Halloween. Yeah. For yeah, because we did it on purpose. We tried to spin all horror movies because it was going to line up with Halloween. Right. So yeah, I mean it's fucking nearly May, <laughs> so it's been a while. Um. All right. Uh. Ooh, I'm gonna look at a calendar real quick. All right. Are there any actual Friday the Thirteenth? Nah, probably not. Nah, nothing close. Damn, that would have been fucking, like, perfect, though. There's one in November, but, you know, what are you going to do? I'm cool with watching this, though, now, because these movies always take place in summer, and we're about to hit summer, and I feel like this will fit nicely. So, um, that's 12 movies. This is another long one. What episode are we on, incidentally? Um, I think we're about to cross 80. Let me, uh... If I, if I remember correctly... I'm gonna pop on Spotify real quick. It'll, it'll take me two seconds to find it, too. This is episode 80, yes, right here. Okay, yeah. So, we watched this. We're gonna be all the way up to 92. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, which means that after that, we'll probably just, like, have to make it work and just choose one more franchise. One that's, to one that's, lead up to 100. One that's 8. Or close. Or like a couple seven. that will lead up to 8. Yeah, something like that. Um, the 8th one will be episode 100. So you want to... That's true. Yeah, we can't have anything in episode 100. I think there was a, a, a episode or two that... I mean, I'll add it up. But like, I'll make sure we're good. Before it comes time to do ranking 100 movies the episode. Hopefully we're not still quarantined. Because that'll be really hard to do. But um, I'm looking forward to this. This should be fun. Absolutely. Those movies are uh, probably all terrible. I can't wait. <laughs> and uh, Anyway. With that, we're going to fuck off. Yeah, dude. Fuck off, everybody. Uh, fuck off, Jusby. Uh, Hey, fuck off, Genhart. No. Fuck off, yeah, my fuck dog. Off. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, fuck, fuck off, uh, my my room where I'm by myself. Because of quarantine. This can of Mountain Dew. Oh, tell him, dude. Fuck off, my this vitamin water that I'm drinking. It's orange. It's actually quite good. <laughs> the vitamin water could stay. Yes, <laughs> that's the one thing that that could not fuck off. Right mm. now. But you guys, fuck off. <laughs>